Ezra chapter 7, beginning in verse number 11. Now this is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time. I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. For as much as they are sent of the king and of his seven counsellors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counsellors have freely offered unto the God of Israel whose habitation is in Jerusalem. And all the silver and gold that thou canst find in the province of Babylon with the freewill offering of the people and of the priest offer willingly for the house of their God which is in Jerusalem. That thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs with their meat offerings and their drink offerings and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold that do after the will of your God. And the vessels also that are given to thee for the service of the house of thy God those deliver thou before the God of Jerusalem. And whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. And I, even I, Father Xerxes the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, shall require of you, it shall be done speedily. Unto a hundred talents of silver and a hundred measures of wheat and a hundred baths of wine and a hundred baths of oil shall salt without prescribing how much. Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Also we certify you that touching any of the priests and Levites, singers, porters, nethims, or ministers of this house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toil, tribute, or custom upon them. And now, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach them, ye them that know not. And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing in this king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counsellors and before the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of Israel, chief men, to go up with me. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Your word is the most important part of our time together. Lord, when we worship and praise, we sing on to you, Lord. 
when we pray, Lord, we pray unto you. And Lord, it's not one way, it's two way. But Lord, when we get to the opening of your word, it is one way. You speak to us through your holy, inspired, authoritative word. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would just uplift us as we think about the hand of God upon Ezra and indeed upon your people today. Lord, it's such a hand of blessing. And Lord, we encourage our souls again and lift us up to know that you're with us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that anything that you've called us to do, you will enable us and equip us to do and encourage us in that. Lord, we face a world that is just so against you and so against your people. But Lord, you said that would be so. Lord, let that not be a surprise to us. You said that the world hated you first. Why would it not hate us? So, Lord, help us to live according to your will, your word, and your way. And, Lord, may we see as a church and as people your hand of blessing upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So when we were in the Bible study during the week, we were in Romans. And we are in Romans chapter number 5. And, and we got to these verses in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. And, and if you go through the book of Romans, it's just a, a wonderful exposition of the gospel of grace. It's, it's beautiful. It's about justification. And justification is being in a right standing with God. And, and the very simplistic term behind that if phrase behind justification is just as if I'd never sinned. And we've been talking about this in Romans. It's so much more than that. It's not just that God has forgiven you for your sins. Justification is that he has placed you into his family. He's given you a new uh, identity. You're a new creation in Christ. And there are promises that come with that. So it's more than just having your sins forgiven. But Paul in Romans kind of expands through this. And in the first three chapters of Romans, he explains the need for justification. Why everybody's in trouble with God. And he, and he goes from the most religious people down to the most base people. And he puts them all in the same stand. And they're under the wrath, the condemnation of God. Because God is holy and people are not. And we have transgressed his law. We've broken it even in our thoughts, never mind in our actions. And if we're guilty in one, we're guilty in all. And a holy and just God must punish that he can't overlook it that's outrageous that's not a just judge so then paul so he says basically everybody needs justification then in in midway through chapter three and chapter four he explains how justification is achieved that it's not of works nothing we can do that it's by faith in the one that came died upon a cross and did the work that we could not do the lord jesus christ When we get to chapter 5, Paul starts to talk about some of the blessings of this new relationship in Christ. This justification, the blessings that it brings. But one of the the verses, two of the verses that we read about was Romans 5 verses 3 and 4. And I'll read them to you now. It says, and this is one one of the blessings of justification. And not only so, but we glory or we rejoice in tribulations or trials. Also knowing that trials or tribulations or troubles worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And so we talked about this, you know, that everything in life is either allowed by God or sent by God. And, and there can be blessings even in the most, most difficult of times. And, and, uh, and we talked about how that sometimes you only see that when you look back. You know, sometimes it's very hard when you're in the midst of it to see God's hand upon you. It's difficult. It's hard. And sometimes it feels like God's hand is nowhere near you. 
But then when you come out of the trial, you come out of the valley, and, and, and you will, ultimately, all believers will come out of the valley one day. It may be in glory, but you'll come out of the valley. And you can look back and you can see God's hand upon you through that. You know, so in trials and troubles, it's the same. In your life, if you can look back at the course of your life, you can look back and sometimes you can see God's hand where he has superintended events in your life to bring you to the right place or in front of the right person or whatever it may be. And you can look back and you can see God's hand upon you. And his hand, when you look back, is a very visible one. But yet maybe at the time... It was invisible. Because God's hand of blessing, it's visible, yet it's invisible. And our God rejoices in blessing his people. He rejoices in putting his hand upon his people. He desires to put his hand upon his people. That's our God. And when we get into the book of Ezra, we're going to see that Ezra recognized clearly, and we talked about this a little bit the last time that we were in Ezra, he recognized the hand of God upon him. Ezra, as I've said, is divided really into two parts. Chapter 1, the chapter 6, is is part number uh, 1. Then when we get into chapter 7, it's part number 2. And there's members said there's a, there's a gap there uh, in between the end of chapter 6 and the end of chapter 7. In that gap, the events of Esther take place. This Artaxerxes is this, this, this king uh, that um, uh, in the time of Esther, I can't even remember, what's who's the name of the, the, the uh, king in the book of Esther? Eh? Yeah, he's, who's, but who's the... Azuerus, that's the one I'm just testing you um, he's trying to raise, raise up warriors because they're going to go and do this big battle and they get absolutely whipped by Artaxerxes so the, the events of Ezra take place in there but they're very parallel in the way that the two parts operate because in part one and, and if you look there at the, at the title of our overarching title of our series it's Return, Rebuild, Revive so we began Ezra in chapter one with the return and there was the rebuilding. And then, if you remember, God had to send the prophets and then there was the reviving. We get into part two of Ezra, if you like. There's a return. Ezra and people are coming back. We're, we're seeing this now. And again, there was the decree given to uh, Zerubbabel in chapter one to go back. We're going to see this morning there's a decree given to Ezra under Artaxerxes to go back. And there's a bit of rebuilding Maybe not rebuilding, but refurbishing to go on. And as we get a little bit later on, we're going to find that Ezra finds things not in a great condition. And there has to be a bit of reviving. So they're very parallel books. So here in chapter 7, Ezra is given a letter from Artaxerxes the king. And he's told to go back. And what the thing is that Ezra recognizes that the hand of God is upon him and his people. He stated that last week, we looked at this, look at verse 6 of Ezra 7. We looked at this, um, not last uh, Sunday morning, but the Sunday morning before that. This Ezra, this is verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon. He was already scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Look at verse 9. 
For upon the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Look at verse 28. And hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counsellors. And before the kings of his mighty princes, and I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. It's a wonderful thing to know that the hand of God is upon you. And Ezra knew that the hand of God was upon him. He had no doubt that everything that was going on was God's blessing upon him and upon his people. And that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to look at the hand of God uh, upon Ezra. We want to look as he uh, acknowledges and he praises this visible yet invisible hand of blessing that comes from God. And the first thing we're going to see this morning is God's hand of blessing enabled. It enabled Ezra. First of all, it enabled him to grow. Look at verse 11 of Ezra 7. It enabled him to grow, firstly in profile. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. So with the king dealing with Ezra tells us a lot about Ezra. That his profile had been raised within that regime. And, and that's one of the amazing things when you look through uh, some of these Old Testament people, especially in the captivity. You'll see, especially with Daniel, you'll see how from one regime to another, he always is in a favoured position. Now, that's unheard of. That's unheard of. You know, I've, I've used this analogy before. Uh, you know, we go to the general election and Labour come in. It's very unlikely that they're going to keep Michael Gove and bring him to a, a place of prominence within the new regime. Usually it's out with the old and in with the new. But Daniel was in a place of prominence. Ezra has in a place of prominence also. And remember, this is captivity still. He's not a national. But yet his profile has grown. So he's grown in profile. He's grown in, in position, verse 12. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God, of heaven, perfect peace in such a time. And again, this just shows us that the king, Artaxerxes, is recognizing Ezra in his religious position. It is not the king's own religious position, but yet he recognizes him as a priest, as a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. So God's hand of blessing has enabled, I want you to get this, has enabled Ezra to get to the place that he's at, to raise his profile and to raise his position. God's hand was upon him, just like it was in Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 9. Because we know the story of Daniel. We know how it goes on and we know how Daniel was favoured, he was exalted uh, above men. We know that he had a, a place of prominence within the different regimes. But I want you to see how it all started. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favour and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. So this is when Daniel has his trial, has his test. He's not going to defile himself for the king's meat. But it says God had brought Daniel into favour. 
and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And that event, even though that seems like a little small phrase, really is the beginning of all the other events that came after. It's the the little seed that sowed the tree. Because God brought him into favor there, was with them all the way through, but Daniel needed to go. He needed to go in prison to come out the other side and, and be who he was to be. But right at the start, God's hand of blessing was upon him. Daniel was a man of God who had the visible, invisible hand of God upon him. And Daniel rose in profile and position. And Ezra too rose in profile and position. So God's hand of blessing enabled Ezra to grow. It also enabled Ezra to go. Look at verse 12, the end of verse 12 there of Ezra 7. Says the scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace at such a time. Perfect peace at such a time. Now, this is coming from Artaxerxes, who is all authoritative. When he says perfect peace, he means nobody can touch you. Perfect peace means you are protected by me, you are under my care. You have my word that nobody will disturb you. How did this happen? Was this just Ezra was just a swell guy who was just able to curry favour wherever he went? No. No. God's hand of blessing was upon him that enabled him to go. To go in peace and because of that peace he went in power. He had authority behind him from the greatest earthly authority that there was in that area at that time. There was no higher authority than the king at that time. And the king had said, go in peace. And nobody, nobody could overrule that. God's hand of blessing enabled Ezra and it can enable us today. God has not changed. God has not changed. We may think that God's not doing this today or not willing to do this today. What a nonsense. What a nonsense. God's hand of blessing enables. Secondly, God's hand of blessing equips. And it did. It equipped Ezra. First of all, it equipped him in riches. Look at verse 14 of Ezra 7. So not only is Ezra going with the decree of, of the king and in perfect power and perfect peace, the, the king goes further. It says, verse 14, For as much as they are sent of the king and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of the Lord which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and the gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel, whose habitation is in Jerusalem. And all the silver and gold that they can find in all the provenance of Babylon, with the freewill offering of the people and of the priests, offer willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. So not only did God's hand of blessing enable Ezra to grow and to go, it equipped Ezra, equipped him in riches. Because, you know, the king goes further and says, yes, you can go, but take all the material wealth that you want with you. Whatever you need, you can have. Take it to do the work of your God. You see, God equips. 
God equips. God is the one that holds the purse. The riches are his, the gold is his, the silver is mine, saith the Lord. You know, we, at a church we think about things that we want to do and expenses and we think, oh, we can't afford it. The Lord provides. The Lord provides. He's done that this very morning, has he not? Right, this very morning. Just to prove, to say, I know what you're going to speak about this morning, Kevin. I know you're going to say that I am the God of all riches. I know you're going to say that I'm the God that will provide. And just to prove that, I'm going to provide something for what you need. That's our God. That's our God. You know, we had a, 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 a meeting last week with the, the, the PWMI Council. We hosted it here. And uh, one of the, the people that were down hadn't seen the church. And he, he was having a look around the church. And he said, oh, it's a lovely building. How, how old is it? And I said, oh, it's 10 years old approximately. And he said, oh, good. You know, how, do you, how much money do you owe on it? I said, no, it's all paid for He's like, oh, that's a blessing, isn't it? That's a blessing. And it is. It is. It is. And who's provided for that? You may say, well, I have. And there's an extension you have. But who's provided for you to provide for this? God. God. I remember being in that building over there when this was being talked about. And and the amount of money that it was going to cost. And and people were shaking in their chairs. (laughs) How are we going to do this? If it's God's leading, God will enable and God will equip. He will equip. That's our God. This this church is bought and paid for. Praise the Lord. Now we can start building the pastor's months and then that will be bought and paid for. We'll get the the, the architect's drawings up. But the Lord can provide. If that was his will, he'd do it. God's hand of blessing equips and equipped Ezra in riches. Equipped him in resources also. Uh, look at verse 21. No, sorry, that's wrong, wrong reference. That's <laughs> definitely not verse 21. Oh yeah, okay. Yes, it is. Verse 21, I was right. <laughs> and I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, to make a decree to all the treasures which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, shall require of you, it shall be done speedily. So not only did the Lord provide the riches, he provided the resources, the men with the motive to do it, because the king had said, if Ezra comes and he asks for you to do something, do it and do it quickly. And they couldn't argue with that. Why? God's hand was equipping. God's hand of blessing made sure that Ezra was equipped for the work that he was called to. Our God has not changed. Our God has not changed. He will equip you and enable you for the work that you are called to. I have no doubt about that. If I had a doubt about that, I would doubt God. And that's what we do. That's what we do. Now that doesn't mean that every Christian is in the work that they're called to. Sometimes we get the whole will of God and desire all the way upside down. But if you're where God wants you to be, He will enable you and equip you with what you need 
to do what you need because that's what he said he would do. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. And we read verse 8 often, verse 9 often, but really we should read verse 10 because we're saved by grace, but we're all supported, supported by grace. For by grace you save through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And all God's people will say amen to that. Salvation is a gift of grace. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We couldn't do it, even if we tried. Even if we wanted to, we could never achieve it. That's why it's a gift of grace. But then it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained or prepared, that we should walk in them. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3.3. 3. When we, we say we, we're saved by grace and we understand that, but then we go into anything that God wants us to do and we say we can't do that. And God says, grace saved you, grace will sustain you, grace will enable you, grace will equip you. I haven't changed. You need a grace to be saved, you need grace to serve. Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish that a work that was begun in the spirit, you now make perfect in the flesh? You couldn't do anything to save yourself. Why would you think that you can ever do anything to please God of yourself? You can't. You need him. And he has promised to be with us, to never leave us, nor forsake us. He has given us the gifts of the Spirit. He has called all of us to something. All of us to something. For we are his workmanship. This, uh, in Ephesians 2.8, is, is everybody in the church. I want you to understand that. This is not the pastors, elders, deacons, Sunday school workers, or those that are good at crafts, or whatever it may be. This is the body of Christ. And the Lord has preserved in his precious word that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath prepared for us, that we would walk in them. It is there if we would just walk in it. God's hand of blessing. Wants to be upon his people. He has work for us to do. He has prepared work for us to do. But he will not force us to do it. That is not how God works. He doesn't work in that currency. He wants your free will offering of service to him. Hebrews 13. Turn there. Verse 20 to 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of, our, of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Believer, God wants to work in you and through you. He wants to put his hand of blessing upon you to equip you, not for your desires, but for his work. 
I've no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. But how often do we all doubt it? We do. We do. God hasn't changed. And the God of Ezra is the God of today. And the God of Ezra, his hand of blessing was upon Ezra and it was a hand that enabled. It was a hand that equipped. And then finally it was a hand that encouraged. Look at uh, verse 23. Well actually we'll, we'll look at verse 25. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thy hands, set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. Here this heathen king is giving Ezra an instruction, and what an encouragement that would be. Can you think about this in today's world? If I was to get a, a, a letter this morning from Boris Johnson, who said, Pastor Kevin, I was just flicking through Facebook and I happened to tune into the message. And if you're listening, Boris, hello. (laughs) Sort out the fuel crisis, please. And he said, I was listening to you. And you know what? I want you to have my blessing. I want you to go out and I want you to go and I want you to go into Stoke under my authority and I want you to teach and tell about the word of God. You think that would be an encouragement to me? Amen. Amen. That's what Ezra got. Why? Because God's hand of blessing is an encouragement. And it will be an encouragement. That when you're in the work and you're doing the work, God will encourage you in that work. And I'm not saying that you will see, uh, if you, if, particularly if you're called the evangelistic ministry, that you're going to see conversion, 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 and your encouragement comes from that. It may well do. But it, it'll come with God just speaking to your heart, God uplifting your soul, knowing that you're doing what he would have you to do, and that's all you're responsible for. Ezra would have certainly been encouraged in purpose, would he not? The king says, go and teach. Verse 26, more so the king says this, And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death or banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. So not only is he told to go and teach, but he said anybody gives you any hassle, you have the authority to do what you like with them. Now, for me personally, that's probably a bad thing. If I went out on the streets of Stoke-on-Trent and had... Ultimate authority, anybody give me any chip, I could throw them in jail or whatever, I'd probably abuse that. But God's hand of encouragement, hand of blessing was upon Ezra. And, and what a way to send them back. Encouraged, enabled, equipped, encouraged. And Ezra, as he gets to the end of this, so in verses 12 to verse 26, it's a copy of the king's letter, it's actually in Aramaic. Rather than Hebrew, because it's a copy of the letter. When we get into verse 27, uh, Ezra goes back into the Hebrew. And here we see that he's encouraged in his praise. Look at verse 27. Blessed be the God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing in this king's heart. He understands it's the hand of God's blessing in all of this. The visible yet invisible hand of God. 
to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counsellors and before all kings many princes and I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. Ezra is encouraged in his purpose to go and teach but also in his praise and he acknowledges the Lord and and the result of this is the right attitude. He puts God first. He understands that it's God that's got him there. It's God that's with him. It's God that's enabled him. It's God that's equipped him. It's God that's encouraged him. And because of that, he says, I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. What a blessing it is to know that the hand of God is upon you. And Ezra certainly recognized the visible yet invisible hand of God. He recognized that it was a hand that enabled. Ezra was where he was and was able to do what he did because God's hand was upon him. Ezra recognized that. He recognized that it was a hand that equipped He recognized Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And if you know, and many of you will know, that comes from Genesis 22. Turn there quickly. Genesis 22, verse 14. This is the account of Abraham and Isaac. And many of us know this and know it well. Genesis 22, verse 14 says this, And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. That's why Abraham called that place there, because the Lord had provided. He didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. We know the story. The Lord had provided. But the name Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean the Lord had provided. It means the Lord will provide will provide and ultimately that's talking about Calvary's cross ultimately it's talking about the Lamb of God on Golgotha and the events that happened in Abraham and Isaac are just a picture of what's to come Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide but by application our God has never stopped being a providing God God will provide he will equip just like he did Ezra all those years ago. And then Ezra seen that the Lord's hand upon him and it encouraged him. He had purpose. He was encouraged about that purpose to get back to God's work, to go and teach the people. He was strengthened because of the invisible, visible hand of God upon him. So as we wrap up this morning, we want to ask the question. We've looked at Ezra And we've seen God's hand upon him. Ezra has recognised God's hand upon him. Now the question is, do we, do you, do I see the visible, invisible hand of God upon our lives here and now? Do we see it? Ezra's seen it. It was clear as day to him. The Lord was ordering his steps. The Lord was with him. He'd enabled them, he'd equipped them, and he was encouraging them. What about you this morning? What about you? You see the hand of God upon your life. The visible, invisible hand of God. 
How are we to see it in our lives if we can't see it now? God to enable us and equip us and encourage us. Well, we referenced Daniel, didn't we? We looked at Daniel. And we looked at how God's hand of blessing was upon him. And what we know about Daniel is that he walked in the ways of the Lord. He loved the Lord. There's no doubt about it. And we looked at that account in Daniel 1.9 where it says that God favoured Daniel amongst the, the eunuchs. Why don't you turn to Daniel 1 verse 8. Before the hand of blessing, we're going to see that Daniel's heart was upon God. Before the hand of God manifested itself in this way in Daniel's life, Daniel's heart was upon God. Verse 8, Daniel 1. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine drink. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he may not defile himself. The very next verse it says, God favored him. God's hand of blessing was upon Daniel because, first of all, Daniel's heart was upon God. We've referenced, just looked at Abraham, haven't we? God provided, but turn to Genesis 22 and verse 8. Genesis 22 and verse 8. There's an Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Of course, Abraham referenced as the father of faith, referenced in Hebrews, in the hall of faith. God's hand of blessing was upon Abraham because Abraham's heart was set upon God. And of course, we've looked at Ezra this morning in detail. And he's writing of himself and he said that God has enabled him, God has equipped him, God has encouraged him. But again, we want to read verse 10, Ezra 7. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. God's hand of blessing was upon Ezra because Ezra's heart was set upon God. And you may say to me this morning, Pastor, I'm not seeing God's hand of blessing upon me. Now, I don't mean that God's hand of blessing will remove trials. That's not it at all. God's hand of blessing doesn't mean that you'll get an easy ride in this life. God's hand of blessing means that whatever you're going through in life, he will enable you, he will equip you, and he will encourage you in that. But if we're to see God's hand of blessing, and God, I absolutely believe this, is willing to put his hand upon each and every one of his children, because he's a good, good father, he loves his children, But if you want God's hand of blessing upon you, the question I want to ask you this morning, if it's not upon you, if you don't see it, if you're not enabled, if you're not equipped, if you're not encouraged, then is your heart truly set upon God? Because if your heart is set upon God this morning, he will put his hand of blessing upon you. You want things to change in your life? You want the conditions in your life to, to get in an order where you can cope. You're not treading water. You're not having sleepless nights. Get your heart right before God. And then God will put his hand of blessing upon you. And he will enable you. He will equip you. And he will encourage you for all that he has 
for you. That's the visible, invisible hand of God. May we all see it in our lives as we live for him. Let's pray.